That to me is the opposite of good, exciting, watchable rugby. No team is going to get away from one another. Yeah, it's going to be wet and miserable, but so is Connor. So is Connor generally wet and miserable. Wow. OTB AM live weekday mornings from seven thirty on the OTB Sports app. Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland Love every racing moment Visit hri.ie Yeah, it's Irish Derby weekend and what a weekend we have in store and what a race we have in store as well Aidan O'Brien not represented by Colt in the race but running Tuesday who's supplemented Um, so what a cracking race we have eight runners and uh, delighted to have an absolute legend on the show very shortly we had David Jennings who'll be on later or the other legend that is Jim Bulger you're very welcome to Friday Night Racing this is Johnny Ward on Off The Ball brought to you by Horse Race in Ireland love every racing moment visit hri.ie or follow the Twitter account at hri.ie Racing hashtag every racing moment. Jim Bulger, I dare say you're still recovering from Simple Stadium last Saturday. Um, no, I recover fairly quickly. I'm looking forward to next year. Yeah, there's an, you're you're a massive, massive hurling fan. Obviously, you must have dared to dream with about ten minutes to go against the banner. Um, I thought at that stage that uh, I I don't normally. Uh, like to see uh, Wexford uh, playing a sweeper but uh, I thought when we were six points up that was the time to do it but uh, I suppose losing the two wrecks and O'Keefe uh, that didn't help yeah Michael our producer uh, I'm, I'm going to admit here he's actually smiling in the background he is from Clare just to add salt into the wounds but I, before before we leave Hurling Jim I have to ask you who wins the All-Ireland uh, I think it'll be Clare I kind of tend to agree with you. Yeah, I hope that I hope it is anyway. Well, my my first choice would be Kilkenny, <laughs> but uh, I think Clare will win it. Yeah, and what a fascinating game between the two we have in store, Jim. Does it feel like thirty years since Sanjavit won the Irish Derby? Uh, I suppose sometimes it does. Do- Others, no. Just uh, tell us about that horse because he was before my time and before I suppose many people listening in their time. Well, he was a world champion. I think he was rated five pounds above the best horse in America. So uh, that's that's what he was, a world champion. And uh, we were a little unlucky before Epsom. Uh, he got held up for a couple of days in training. And I think it cost him the race because uh, when he met Dr. Vivius again, he beat him by 12 lengths and he took 12 seconds off the track record. And uh, that looks like standing forever. And now that uh, they're talking about reducing it to a mile and a quarter, I, I certainly think that uh, if that unfortunate circumstance were ever to arrive, he'd certainly have it for the rest of, for the rest of our days. Well, okay, so what Jim refers to there, I'm actually going to just uh, talk about this briefly. Jim refers to uh, Alan Sweetman's article, which I thought was thought-provoking and the rest in the race and post this week, where the challenge for the Irish Derby in terms of attracting overseas runners like Royal Ascot did last week has become quite difficult in that it's the good to 20 years, I think, since an English-trained winner of the English Derby has come over and those clashes where you brought over the likes of Dalacani and Manjou from France have become less and less because maybe the French Derby's run over a different trip these days and has also run quite close to the Derby. Jim, you're not a fan of the idea, obviously. Uh, no, but I think, it, uh, I know you haven't asked me for the reason uh, why they're not coming. 
they're not coming because they know they can't beat our horses. If they thought they could win a half a million plus, they'd be here. Uh, when Sanjavis won, uh, I think we hadn't won it for about 10 years. And uh, we got back into the swimming dance time shortly after that and stopped coming. So Shargar came, uh, you remember, the, I think it was 1982 or three. Uh, but uh, you know, if if he was the best horse, <coughs> excuse me, he was the best horse around at that time, and uh, uh, I mean they, they didn't mind coming, and they didn't mind the fact that it was a mile and a half. So there's nothing wrong with the race. Uh, the only thing that's wrong is that uh, some people are not as brave as they used to be because the, the competition in Ireland has got stronger. With all due respect as well to Epsom, I mean, if you have a horse, and I've made this point before, it was quite obvious how Coolmore and Ballydoyle were adamant that even during its redevelopment, when the place was basically a building site, that the Derby would still not go to Leopardstown because the Curra was a fairer track. And you can't even compare Leopardstown and Epsom. So, Jim, like, if you want a true test for a horse, surely the Curra is more of a test than Epsom. Uh, well, it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, I mean, Epsom is unique. Uh, you know, it has all the gradients and then the downhill into the straight and uh, the camber of the track as well. So you need a very, very uh, well-balanced horse uh, uh, with a good turn of foot to win the Epsom. Whereas uh, the Curra is a stiffer track, uh, but it's very, le- it, you know, it's quite level. And uh, you don't need the same amount of agility at the car. You just need raw ability. And if you go back to San Javit then, um, was he? Was it evident that he liked the car more, or was there more to it than that? When in terms of the two derbies? No, he was a fitter horse. Uh, he he was a couple of gallops short going to Epsom, but uh, I was younger in those days, and I was more in trying to take chances. Well, I think I think one thing you won't be accused of even at this age is taking chances. Let's go back to him, though. So he's American-bred. How does he end up uh, in the yard of J.S. Bulger? Um, I, I don't really know that myself, but uh, when Mrs. Payson came to see me before she sent the horse, she had a look around the place, and uh, she liked clean, smart places, and she said that was what convinced her to come here. And then I, I, I was having a good run at the time. And uh, age wasn't a factor like it is now. How long were you training at that point? Um, I was training from... I began training in 76, and that was 82. So... It, it, Sorry, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah, Shergar was 82, uh, yeah. No, I think she came about 90. Yeah. So I was training 14 years before she came. Yeah, Sanjavit fold on the 11th of March, 89. So um, I think Charlie Hawhey was sort of in power around that time. Ireland was emerging out of a recession. What, what was it like to train a good horse in the late 80s into the 90s? You can train a good horse any time. Uh, if you have a good horse, recession doesn't matter. But you, you were you were self-made. So, like, what was it like training in Ireland in the eighties? I mean, I, I suppose I, I've I've read on the. I was very young at the time, but I, obviously, you look back on all the people that were emigrating, the problems, um, the economic deficit in the country. What was racing like in those days, Jim? It was very competitive because 
we had to compete with uh, the late Vince O'Brien, PJ Prendergast, Tom Collins, Seamus McGrath, uh, Dermot Wells, uh, John Ox Sr. Uh, you know, it was very, very competitive. And then we had a few, Dermot Weld and myself had a few easy years after Dermot retired. And then when uh, John Magner decided to uh, bring in the partners and uh, uh, stiffen up the uh, competition from Tipperary, uh, it, it got tough then. I don't know if you read, I mentioned Charlie Hyde there, but I don't know if you read um, the Gary Murphy's I thought it was an excellent book that he brought out there a few months ago on Charlie. But to, just the, the stallion exemption, um, what did that do for racing in this country? I mean, uh, it was it was a massive stimulus, I guess, Jim, anyway. It was. It was huge, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, instead of... Vincent had been selling the best horses that he trained to America. And uh, with the stallion exemption, it was possible to keep them in Ireland. And it transformed the whole business. And I guess it was like widely welcomed in the racing industry here at the time. Uh, well, I'm not sure that it was widely welcomed. Well, I suppose in the industry itself it was, but I mean, you only had a few, uh, uh, two or three players that time in the stadium. So uh, after uh, the industry took off, then you had a lot of the young bucks coming in and uh, they knew how to acquire good horses. And, uh, you know, the, the banks looked very favourably on the purchase of the stadium. That's what had to get the whole thing going. And, uh, of course, recently we lost uh, one of the greatest legends probably ever to grace uh, sport in these parts, Lester Piggott. And, uh, obviously, a lot of memories of his comeback ride for Vincent O'Brien, the late Vincent O'Brien as well, on Royal Academy in the Breeders' Cup and all the winners he rode. Uh, stories just never-ending, really, about Lester. What were your own memories of Lester? And also, like, was Vincent O'Brien a hero to you as you were beginning to train, Jim? Have you got two hours? Yeah. Uh, Lester was a great friend. Uh, I was already training uh, less than a year, and uh, the, the yard was connected to our house in Tomsilla. And uh, Jackie opened the kitchen door one day, and she said, Lester's on the phone for you. And I thought that had to be a send-up. But uh, in, in any case, my curiosity was piqued, so I had to go in to make sure... Anyway, he said, this is less than big, and I couldn't believe it. And he was looking for a ride on one of my horses. So uh, that was a big boost in itself. Anyway, I had to turn him down because I had a stable jockey at the time. And uh, I'd like to think that I've always been loyal to my jockeys, but it was breaking my heart to turn Lester down. So after that, then, we became good friends. And the last time he tried to get on one was uh, San Javis after he won the Irish Derby. His next race was uh, the King George of Ascot. And, of course, I think he was even money favourite, or he was very tough there. So, anyway, um, Christy Roach was suspended at the time, and he couldn't ride. But I was always determined to support the home jockeys. And uh, I had picked um, Stephen Crane, mm. even though uh, Mrs. Payson at the time wanted Steve Carson. 
and I was also friendly with Steve Cotton, so it wasn't easy to turn him down either. But I put Irish racing first, and I was with Stephen Crane. Anyway, he was a steering job. Lester came to me after the race uh, in his suit and tie and all spiffed up for the day. And he said, even my tired old arms would have won on him. <laughs> so, uh, but it was it was killing me not to have him because, uh, you know, it, it would have made a good story for me anyway. But uh, I put Irish Racing first and it was Stephen Crane's biggest day. What was Lester like? Uh, he was good company. Uh, because of his speech impediment, uh, you had to pay a lot of attention to catch everything he was saying. Now, he didn't say a lot, but he usually made a lot of sense. Um, and we went to um, ask him. Uh, Colm O'Rourke met Lester, and uh, he asked Lester, what, who did he think would win? And he said, Sandra V, so Colm went out and helped himself. But I suppose that was one of the easier ones to, uh, to be. But, uh, you know, I always enjoyed his company. And uh, uh, when he got out of prison, I got a phone call from him because I used to write to him when he was in jail. And uh, he invited Jackie and myself over to his house, or to himself and Susan, and uh, for lunch. Anyway, we arrived. Lester met us at the door with an apron and a carbon knife. <laughs> <laughs> this was the other side of so he 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 did most of the work. I know Susan won't, won't be too happy with me for saying this, but he was definitely the man of the house. He did everything and served the meat, carved the beef, the whole lot, and we had a great day. Lester, of course, Next, uh, he got his back on me then sometime after that. Uh, we went to Hong Kong with uh, Alexander Goldrow and we went out to the track early in the morning each day and one of the days anyway after breakfast at the track Lester came to me and he said uh, are you going back to your hotel and I said yeah sure he said can I have a lift I said no problem so anyway I didn't know Hong Kong but Lester knew it very well and uh he took me all around the island and dropped him off at his hotel. And uh, uh, that meant passing my hotel, but I wasn't aware of that uh, on the way around with Lester. But the reason he brought me all the way around was so that I'd pick up the tab. That uh, <laughs> actually driver was finished. So uh, that, that was the last, the first and the last time that he caught me for some money. Yeah, of course. at least when, when Lester was in prison, he didn't actually have to pay for any of his food. And the KJ Manning, your stable jockey, recalled after your other Irish Derby win, Trading Leather, that uh, they had a party. Uh, I think they had a party in one of the nicer spots in Kildare afterwards. And uh, the, the Hangman. The Hangman's, that's right. And yeah. so Murta is there, presumably Canaan is there, uh, Manning is there. And Lester comes in, more or less kind of gate crashes the party, asks where the wine is, and ends up trying to um, bum cigars off people, I believe. Well, that would be Lester, but uh, 
if he didn't get the car, he'd have his own anyway. <laughs> the, the 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 last the last thing about Leicester, uh, Willie Carson. Uh, one day, Leicester said, yeah, "Gives a line of a tenner, gives a line of a and Willie's like, "Oh, jeez." So he he reluctantly gives him the tenner, and two weeks later, there's still no sign of the money being returned, and Willie's like, "Leicester, like, where's this tenner? I gave it to you two weeks ago." And Leicester's like, well, "Why are you saying I haven't even spent it yet?" So that was Leicester. <laughs> but what was he like as a writer, Jim? Sorry. What was he like as a writer? Was he the best? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, and uh, I predict he'd certainly be the best in my lifetime. Mm. And, uh, it, it was lovely for me to be born when I was born because I saw Lester coming along and I saw I was there for his whole career. Um, and then to get to know him later on was special. What would the dynamic have been between him and Vince O'Brien? Because I don't think either was a man of many words, but like obviously two geniuses in their own right. Uh, yes, well, I mean, the relationship is well documented. I think the best one was when uh, Lester squeezed one of the horses on the gallop and Vincent was none too pleased. Mm. And he threw his cap on the ground and danced on it. So... That that is part of the relationship, right? I think he got banned after that from from Ballydoyle, but he still retained all the rides. And you, he was friendly with you despite you turned him down the ride in the King George, even though your old jockey wasn't available. Well, I think he 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 respected the fact that I did turn him down, and he knew the reason. The first time was a stable jockey, and the second time. Uh, was because I wanted to support Irish racing and an Irish jockey. And as much like I think he did his first derby ride at fifteen, but like he, I, 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 my father went over to England, like so many did in the I guess it was the sort of late fifties, early sixties, and you know. London was London and Birmingham and all those cities were full of Irish people. They absolutely love Leicester Piggott, and it seemed to be this case here as well, Jim. That when Leicester came over, people loved him. Especially, you know. And uh, apart from being the housewife's choice, I think he was everybody's choice. And so when, so when you got San Javis, and we'll move on to your other Irish Derby winner trading leather shortly. When you got San Javis, like the first time you saw him work. Or, or the first time when did you actually take notice wow this fella could be something we were coming back from Longchamp he ran in the two year old Colts race there on on Arc Day and he finished third or fourth I can't remember which it was and as far as I can remember the race was won by Irish River and he was the champion being two year old and Christy said to me says Oh, I'm wrong. It wasn't Irish River. I have to think of the name of the horse. Mm. He was the two-year-old. He was the best two-year-old I ever saw. He won the Breeders' Cup afterwards. And uh, I just... He was by Bush Groom, but I can't recall his name. That's what happens when you get to my age, John. You're not doing too badly. No. But anyway, um, Christy said to me, he said, that's the last time that fellow would finish in front of him. Mm. But that was good enough for me. I, we we knew then that we had a real one. 
Now, trading leather, obviously, is, I, I had to actually ask Kevin and be reminded that he came to a sad end in, in um, his final race. He suffered a fatal injury in Tokyo and Japan. And, you know, such as race and such as life that you, you do mix the good with the bad. But when he did win the Irish Derby, I remember quite well talking to David Watchman, who saddled uh, the runner-up Galileo Rock afterwards. David doesn't train anymore. But he's, David's a very quiet man, but he, I remember him telling me afterwards, for a moment I dared to dream there because he thought Galileo Rock was going to be trading leather. It was probably, um, how would that day go down in your in your highlights, Jim? Because it was so long since you'd won it with San Javis in 2013. Uh, well, that would be one of the big days. Just to go back to uh, the two-year-old, it was a Razzie. A Razzie, yeah, whose yeah, who's performance... Uh, is the, moving on to answer your question, Asher, it was, it was huge. Um, I had had the dam in training for the late Mac to Mal Maktou, and I liked her a lot. Uh, and I always felt that she'd make a nice broodmare. But anyway, um, when his stuff was being dispersed, I, I, I bought her. Back. And uh, I, I, I sent to Galileo, and that's all I got. Yeah, the, the, I was actually going to say Arazi, but I wasn't really sure what time Arazi was around because if uh, you lo- you'll often hear Arazi be referenced, uh, he looked like Arazi coming into the straight because of Arazi's turn of foot. But so trading leather was James' last winner of the Irish Derby. This brings us on to uh, tomorrow's renewal, and. Interestingly, again, talking to KJ Manning, he said, I'll probably be riding Boundless Ocean in the Derby. I was minded that I'd actually backed him at Leopardstown in a complete mess of a race the last day. And uh, this horse is 66 to 1. He's by Teofilo out of a new approach mare. He couldn't be more Jim Bulger bred, really, if he wanted to be. Um, and the more I look at it, Jim, I think this horse might have a little bit of a chance. Well, sure, we're taking part anyway, and we'll see what happens. What sort of forms he in? He's very well, yeah. So the the reason I'm kind of giving this horse a chance when he ran um, he ran two runs back at the Curra in the Gallanool and he was a very very unfortunate a third at eleven to four to Hannibal Barca. Now Hannibal Barca uh, is ten to one hasn't run since for the race, whereas Boundless Ocean is sixty six to one. What sort of chance would you give him? Well, Hannibal Barca was very impressive that day. He won very easily, but my fellow come along and uh, sure. Uh, if he's able to take part in the last four long, I'd be happy. Um, talk to me about your sort of, you've a, you've a, a scatter of runners. You may be listening to this on Friday night. If you're listening to it live uh, on Friday afternoon, Jim has a, a nice book of rides, uh, or a nice, mount, a nice book of horses to go to the car on Friday and Saturday. What else are you looking forward to over the weekend, Jim? Uh, sure, I look forward to them all. I love the competition, especially on big days. So uh, we, we hope for the best. Um, I have a filly in the Group 2 race on Sunday, and uh, uh, she has some stiff opposition there, uh, principally from Aidan's filly, which was very impressive in But I like the filly, and uh, six furlongs is probably a bit on the short side for her, but I'd be viewing her as a classic prospect for next year, so... Uh, I'd be interested to see how she's there. Yeah, that's Jim's horse, Cora, in the 210 at the Cora um, Sunday. And obviously, it's worth noting that her uh, nays conquer last time was meditated, only bolted up Royal Ascot. And it's my idea, actually, maybe of the Guineas winner next year. But, uh, Jim, she's another horse that you bred yourself out of Gold Mirage by Vocalize. Uh, yes, well, Gold Mirage is another um, Galileo mayor, so. You know, I picked those up in the early days when 
nobody wanted to know about Galileo, but I took a chance. Yeah. Yeah, that that story, which is always worth retelling, is that, and it's actually staggering. Galileo passed away last year, one of the greatest legacies ever in racing by man or human or horse or whatever. And uh, Galileo, who'd won the Derby and was around at a time, uh, winning the Irish Derby as well, I think in 2001, he was around at a golden era for racing. Um, And Jim, he wasn't popular in his first sort of, in his third year at Stud, was it you basically banked on him? Uh, Yeah, well, he stood first at 50,000 and... Uh, not 50,000, not a month, but in terms of uh, Epsom Derby with standing in stud, it, was, it wasn't a huge amount. And uh, there weren't any for him. Uh, mm. uh, I assume that year, but the following year or two years later, it was down to 27,000. And I thought that uh, it was a no brain that said, so I took a bigger chance. And uh, I had some great luck with them. Yeah, two of the horses I mentioned there, Teofilo and New Approach. Jim, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at the Curra tomorrow and uh, uh, hopefully we'll have a good chat about Leicester and uh, what's to come as well, hopefully, for next year. Yeah, well, you can buy the uh, in, uh, in the quid that Leicester from. Yeah, I think the line is slightly breaking up there, but I think you can get the gist of what Jim is saying there. He wants me to buy him, uh, being a teetotal, maybe a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Thanks, Jim. Right, Johnny, take care. Bye now. Uh, the Toad is delighted to offer the Toad guarantee for the first time at a Dubai Duty Free Irish Derby Festival this weekend at the Curra. Um, and you will have seen the pools were extremely busy for Royal Ascot. So this is actually a big deal. You're getting you get the guaranteed price in the Toad, particularly if you're going for something at a bigger price. Toad guarantee means that the Toad will pay whichever is the higher of the Toad pool price and the SP uh, price on all win bets. Toad guarantee is available on all Irish and UK racing. If you want to find out more, ask any member of member of Toad staff at the Curra. After the break, David Jennings. Friday Night Racing on Off the Ball. And off. Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment. Visit hri.ie. And you're welcome back. David Jennings, uh, Irish uh, Racing Post Deputy Editor, is on the line. How are you, Jenno? I'm very good, Johnny. How are you? I actually didn't know, uh, I wasn't listening there, I was in my own world, I didn't know you were on the line, but I was minded there as Jim Bulger was telling me about taking the tab for Leicester. You were on a you were on a date one time, I remember you telling me this before you met your lovely wife. Um, you were on a, yeah, where, where is this going? You were on a date one time and it was kind of a blind date and you were sensing, oh, I'm not sure this is going to work out, but but it was it was insult as well as agony when the date, she um, didn't go for the set menu, but she went for the a la carte. Yeah, oh, it was a nightmare altogether. I knew straight away, I said, this is not happening. And we went to this restaurant and the menus came out. And this was Johnny, when we were in the early stages of our careers, where, you know, wages wouldn't have been fantastic. And I remember it was a Tuesday night and she ordered fillet steak. She got about three sides and uh, she got a starter, she got a dessert and she even got coffee afterwards. And... I just said, oh, God, I'm going to have to pay for this. I'm going to have to pay for it. And it was like 190 quid or something. And I was like, this is the worst 190 quid I have ever spent in my life. Never saw her since. And 10 years later, that girl, Eva is now married to David Jennings. And obviously it wasn't <laughs> wasn't Eva, But uh, yeah, things worked out quite well for Jeno, and hopefully it did uh, for that lady as well who enjoyed the fillet steak, Jeno's uh, company and uh, the tab being paid. How are you, Jeno? 
Good, yeah. She she told the opposite story on today FM this morning. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to listen back. Uh, we had Jim Bulger on there um, talking about the race tomorrow. I want to uh, just chat to you briefly. Firstly, um, well, we have a bit of time here. Actually, let's talk about Royal Ascot first. So your your colleague uh, Chris Cook, uh, many people know from the race post. Not as many people know that he's actually a son of the late great Robin Cook and a really nice guy from Scotland. The guy I really respect in the media. He essentially had a piece saying that Royal Ascot was better cracked than Cheltenham. Discuss. Yeah, I was actually sitting beside Chris all week and uh, maybe he rubbed off me one too many times because I thought it was nonsense, to be honest with you. Um, I can see his point. Look, he's trying to... He made the point in the piece and it was a very well-written column and he said that, you know, it's more competitive. There's a bigger spread of winners. You know, the big races are not going into all the same hands like they are starting to do at Cheltenham with the, with the likes of, obviously, Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott. But as regards enjoyment and as a spectacle and just how it, you know, how it kind of shapes the whole season, for me, nothing compares to Cheltenham. And that's not because I'm, I, I favour jumps over flat or anything like that. I think with Cheltenham, you're building up to a crescendo where all season you're watching horses. And maybe this is part of the problem as well. You're watching horses and you're wondering, God, if that horse wins the Royal Bond at Fairy House, He's got a massive chance in the Supreme. Whereas in the on the flat with Royal Ascot, you've got a lot of horses that you don't know that well. And, you know, a lot of them might be having their second or third starts, or in the case of the Chesham winner, their very first starts. So you don't really have an affection with the horses or know that much about them. Whereas with Cheltenham, even though it has kind of changed a little bit and the competitiveness has changed since it went to four days, um, and a lot more short prices over the four days at Cheltenham. For me, Royal Ascot was terrific, and I really, really did enjoy it, every minute of it, and the weather was fantastic. And as a week as a whole, it couldn't really have went much better because you even got the drama with Frankie and John Galston and Stradivarius in the Gold Cup. You've got a good spread of Irish winners. It was a good week for Aidan O'Brien, and um, it, was, it was a really enjoyable week. But more fun and better than Cheltenham, not for me, Johnny. That's very honest, sir. You know, the case for Royal Ascot is that uh, you have horses from Japan, you have horses from Australia, you have horses from the US, you have horses from France, you have a load of horses from Ireland. Essentially, Cheltenham is now Ireland versus Britain as opposed to Britain versus Ireland. The French don't really tend to come over anymore. German jumps racing isn't, isn't, uh, isn't really happening. So you also have, like, I think a lot of races were badly diluted this year. Four-runner novice chases. I know we had five-runner races at Royal Ascot. It didn't feel, though, at Royal Ascot, like, uh, any race was sort of just making up the numbers which Shelton to me is sort of edging towards but we'll get that to uh, another day but Geno as you mentioned was a Royal Ascot hashtag Frankie watch Geno like Frankie Dettori had an absolute horror show of a week um, I, was, I spoke to Rishi Persad on Monday in London before I randomly bumped into Sam Willie Cohen on the tube, that's for another story. Um, but Rishi Prasad is like, yeah, the talk is that Gosden and Frankie, um, it, it's it's going to be uh, P-Tong and it might be over. Turns out he was more or less right. Did you kind of envisage this was happening throughout the week? I mean, it was a bad week for Frankie. We'd Stradivarius, we'd other rides, um, struggling to get the hood off a of horse, Lord North, and so on and so forth. What was it like watching him up close if you did? Yeah... I think as the week went on, we started to realise there was more to it than meets the eye. This just wasn't, you know, a, a spur of the moment, John Gosden calling out a Frankie de Tory ride on Stradivarius in the Gold Cup. Um, I was, I suppose, in the middle of it, and you're you're kind of trying to gauge the body language. And, and it was funny because straight after the race, John Gosden 
went straight over to the big screen as Stradivarius and the winner were coming back in. He went over to the big screen to watch the race again and he scrutinized the race on the big screen before he spoke to the media. So he had like, it wasn't just, you know, the race is over and then bang, John Gosling gave his, his synopsis of the race. He had time to consider what he had seen and how Frankie played the part in Stradivarius's defeat. And I thought the most interesting thing of all from my point of view was Frankie de Tori jumped off the horse. He spoke to John Gosden for 30 seconds to a minute, perhaps. There was a later conversation between the two in the weighing room, which Lee Motter said I thought portrayed beautifully in our paper on, on the Thursday, um, or on the Friday, sorry. But um, when Frankie spoke to us after that initial conversation with John Gosden, he didn't think he did anything wrong in Stradivarius at all. He said, I would say in his head, it looked far worse on television than it did actually riding in the race. He was stopped in his run maybe twice and he had to pull to the outside. But I don't think Frankie thought that he lost an awful lot of momentum. I think he, in his view, no matter what happened, the best horse won the race. And Stradivarius perhaps was getting a little bit older. And if the old Stradivarius, not the eight-year-old Stradivarius, maybe the three, four and five and six-year-old Stradivarius had have got out at the time he did and switched the outside, he would have won the race but he was getting a little bit older. That real instant turn of foot is gone that Stradivarius used to have. And Frankie very much deflected the, the, the performance onto the horse rather than the rider. And I don't think that sat well with John Gosden because I think in John Gosden's head, he thought the best horse didn't win the race for all that he praised Kiprios and um, you know the new kid on the staying block. But in John Gosden's head, I think he thought that Stradivarius could have won a fourth Gold Cup and emulated Yates. I think Frankie de Tori thought, thought otherwise. And perhaps that's why we've got to where we are now. And that has been a build-up maybe of a relationship that has been going maybe one way in the last couple of months. And maybe it just reached a crescendo, Johnny. You will know I love Ryan Moore, right? Ryan Moore, um, he doesn't say much, um, but he is what he is, right? Um, he's a brilliant rider. And as you mentioned, he um, you know rode Kiprios. I think Kiprios is the best horse in the race. Kiprios um, looks the new kid in the same blocks, you say. And Ryan Moore gave him a kind of a plan B, plan C, plan D ride. Him and in Stradivarius and what was an unbelievable race in so many levels. Um, Frankie Dettori, on the other hand, we had him on last year. Um, he's a complex individual, Geno. He's a, he's a complex individual. He's a totally different character. Not not like your man in Father Ted um, who comes, comes on the screen and he just puts on an act. He's completely different off stage he's kind of he can be quite um I, I thought like he he's deeply in thought at times I think and he's, he's 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 a completely different character on screen than off screen so that's the caveat I didn't like what John Gosden did afterwards I just did not like that because you know Frankie's a legend he's offered he's, he's done so much for racing and when he was at Bellystown last year for the Barney Curley fundraiser he was like flies around shit I mean everyone wants to swarm around Frankie Dettori and I was like I was watching this like I would not like to have your life if you go racing and this is every day for you you'd look at Ryan Moore and Ryan Moore just doesn't want it and you'd be like okay that's grand I'll stand off you Ryan so Frankie attracts all this attention he's done so much good for racing the seven timer the flying dismounts the Italianness, the the handsome looks all of this I didn't like what Gosden did afterwards no, and I think most people will be in agreement with you, Johnny. I think this is something that could have happened better. It could have been dealt with better by John Gosden. It could have been dealt with behind closed doors. Now, from a media point of view, I suppose, it's been fantastic because it added to the drama of the week. And even on the Friday, for Frankie to come out and ride in spiral the way he did in the Coronation Stakes, like when, and I wrote in my piece, it was intense heat. It was 32 degrees 
in Ascot on the Friday. Um, and nobody was feeling the heat more than Frankie. Every eye in the place was on him. And to do what he did on Inspiral, I thought was a sign of the legend, you know, that he was able to put all that to one side. Nothing went right in the race for Inspiral. And he was still able to carve out this brilliant victory uh, going to Plan C. And that, for me, is the way Frankie will be remembered. Um, I would say, I, I don't know if you agree with me here, but I would say if you were to ask 100 people today, if you walk down Grafton Street and you asked 100 people to name somebody associated with horse racing, I'd say, this is like a game of family fortunes now, mm. but I'd say the top answer would be Frankie Dettori. If you just walked down Grafton Street and picked 100 people today and said, name one person in horse racing, I think Frankie Dettori would be our top answer. And I think when he does retire, and hopefully just because he's lost a Gosden job, it's not going to be the end for Frankie Dettori. And his manager has come out and said it's not the end. He's still got loads of energy. He still wants more. Yes, he's in his 50s, but the energy is still there. I hope this is not the end of Frankie Dettori. But when he does eventually retire, like we're going to be talking about him the way we, we have been speaking about Lester Piggott you know, the Johnny Murtis, the Mick Canans. Like, he's, he's, I listened to Lydia Hislop on Nick Luck's podcast this morning, and I thought she phrased it well, and I kind of agree with her. When all these top riders were riding at the very best, so the very best of Frankie Dottori is better than the very best of everybody else. And a lot of racing fans would agree with that. Yeah, I tend to agree with pretty much everything you said there. Um, Frankie turns 52 this year, Um very much around his birthday is the 10 year anniversary of him getting a six month ban in 2012 for a prohibited substance like a lot of high profile jockeys including uh, John Murta Kieran Fallon Richard Hughes they've they've had difficulties in their life and I just I, I just think it was a lonely place from a Times Royal Ascot last week for a guy who's you know he's probably thinking now how long does he have left um, what's his career going to be after racing but like surely I need a little bit more support from somebody like John Gosden briefly oh yeah I think so yeah I, I think he thought you know, the, the second half of the week, Thursday and Friday, was was going to be massive for him because he had obviously reached for the moon for the Queen, who I think went off two to five and was beaten. He had Stradivarius in the Gold Cup. Saga was just beaten for the Queen as well. And then obviously in Spiral won. Like, I think he thought last week was going to be another vintage Frankie de Tory week at Royal Ascot. And what happened was something completely different that was, you know you know, that was made even bigger by John Gosling's quotes. It's going to be interesting to see what plays out today. They're obviously having a meeting, I think, later on today, John Gosling and Frankie Dettori. It seems like the relationship is over. And what happens next for Frankie Dettori is going to be very, very interesting because there might be one last hurrah for Frankie over the next couple of years. And where that route takes him, God only knows. Where does the Irish Derby go? So um, your boss, uh, Richie Forrestal, who was on last week in a racing post takeover of Off the Ball, um, he's probably swimming like 10 kilometres today or something. The man has turned into a beast. He's in France on holidays, would you believe? He's in France yeah. on holidays. He's turned into a beast in the ocean, right? Um, but Alan Sweetman, I believe, is, is covering one or two of his columns. Um, Alan Sweetman, I spoke to him yesterday, actually, and he spoke about this column. Reduce the Irish Derby to a mile and two. So briefly, what's your what's your thought on this? Because I I spoke to uh, Brendan Duke in the On the Wire podcast about this as well. And Dukey is this really interesting notion that this could be part of a triple crown to save the old triple crown, which is now essentially anomalous and anachronistic in the going to the ledger, which doesn't really happen anymore. You don't want a horse to win the ledger trip because it's a mile and six. It implies that you're slow in terms of your stallion career. Completely different over a mile and two. So if you change the Irish Derby to a mile and two, you could run in the Guineas, the Epsom Derby, and then the Irish Derby, which 
is a revised trip, but the, the Irish Derby itself actually starts as a mile and six race. Give me your thoughts on Alan's article. I liked it. I like the idea. I think a lot of things need to change for it to work. And obviously the, the Carl Eclipse is, is, is going to be a big headache if it is to work. Um, you know, just being so close to the Derby, a mile and two race where usually it's the three-year-olds taking on the older generation. It's the first time for them really to clash is in the Eclipse at Sandown. So that has to be obviously considered. And, and you know, the European pat- pattern is going to have to change a lot if this is to work. The, the idea behind it, I do like. Um, I thought it was interesting, one of Alan's points, in the build-up to the race, he said, we were, get, we're getting excited about an Oaks winner in Tuesday taking on a Derby third in Westover. And that shows you how far the race has fallen when a Derby third is taking on an Oaks winner. And we're getting excited because this used to be the race where the, the Epsom Derby winner would take on the French Derby winner at mm. T to find out who was the best. And that hasn't happened for a number of years. And you look through the past winners of the race and you see the likes of Sovereign, you see Frozen Fire, you see horses that you're scratching your head going, how on earth did they win an Irish Derby? Like, And the race has fallen in prestige um, in the last couple of years. Now, I, I think for, for a couple of different reasons, be it Tuesday running in the race and Aidan O'Brien relying on one, given that I think he's ran 49 horses in the race since 2010. So in the last... 11 runnings of the race. He's at 49 runners, which tells you he's running four and five a year. He's relying on one filly in Tuesday this year. He's only ran two fillies in the race in his whole career um, in qualifying Strawberry Roan. So he obviously thinks the absolute world of Tuesday. And that adds an extra layer of intrigue to the race, as does Westover, for whom Colin Keane takes over the ride from Rob Hornbury. And I don't know if you're in agreement with me here, but... If we're talking about people taking over from Frank, from Frankie de Tory in the John Gosling job, if I was to produce a shortlist, Colin Keane would be very, very close to the top Okay, of that. but this is typical general, right? Because Colin Keane is a mead man, you're a mead man, and it's rank royal bias from you. Uh, so so you're, 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 you're putting far too much pressure on the great man's shoulder here. The caveat is, Colin Keane is unbelievable. He's, he's, he's actually class, and he's also a top, top lad. Don't know what happened with Dermot Well this year. Bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Gooboo if you want. But Geno, Westover is a horse who wants a gallop in the race, um, drifts left under pressure and has never been ridden by Colin Keane before, who wouldn't have had many rides in the Irish Derby himself. But uh, if you're given uh, one man the job in Ireland to ride your horse in the Derby, it, it probably still has to be Colin Keane. Yeah, he's had two rides in the race. Uh, he rode Van Gogh for Aidan O'Brien and he rode a horse for, for Ger Lyons that was a massive price. Mm. But I think it's the perfect stage for Colin to, to show the world what Ireland has known for the last five or six years. Like, he's a three-time champion jockey and... I just think it's, it's, it's a really good call and it's a ballsy call by Judmont to give him the ride in the race. And I think it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. You've got a jockey who rides the Curra better than anybody else in the race. And he's a cool customer. The simple fact of the matter is, Johnny, he's a better jockey than Rob Hornby. And I, think it, I definitely think it's the right call. And they are giving themselves the best chance of winning a derby. And not just a derby, a winnable, a winnable derby. Um, if he repeats his performance at Epsom, I think he's going to be very hard to beat. I can see your point that he probably does want a strong gallop, but he was the one hitting the line really hard in the derby. He was definitely the second best horse in the race behind Desert Crown. 
And I think if he repeats that performance, I think he'll beat Tuesday. Completely agree with you. And um, I, I'd actually slightly contrast with you there in terms of Aiden thinking the world of Tuesday. I think he thinks his, his Colts are just no good this year, or average. His, his derby horse was Luxembourg. He told us that uh, at his yard there about a month ago. My derby horse is Luxembourg, which was great, except Luxembourg was injured. So he ended up running three or four Galileos in the race. We're all not that great. And he just on that point as well, the Irish derby is going to change because Galileo's influence is, is going to be on the wane from now on, certainly in terms of his immediate uh, sons running in the derby so it will change in terms of um, the narrative of the race whether or not it goes to the mile uh, and two or not maybe it's odds against I think it's something that Alan Sweetman will put in the narrative tomorrow for people who go racing because it is something that could revive the race which definitely has fallen in stature in recent years but this renewal Geno um, it's an outlier in terms of Aidan O'Brien supplementing Tuesday and completely changing the, the makeup of the race it's an eight runner race now we've an English challenger who's hot favourite and what's fascinating is that it's very very hard to call it tactically Aidan O'Brien doesn't have any other runner in the race so he's no way of ensuring a good gallop short of Tuesday making the running which he might um, she comes into the race on the back of winning the Oaks when it was deemed by most people that the runner up Emily Upjohn was unlucky then you have the third Nashua going and winning the French uh, race at the weekend winning the French Derby so French Oaks rather so there's so many layers to it there is I think French claim will make the running I think um, like he looked as though he was an absolute out and out galloper like really like properly a stayer that wanted every inch of the trip when he won a cork back in April he made the running that day he returned in the in the old Derrinson Derby trial uh, behind Stone Age and they didn't make the run that day. Stone Age made all. So I'd imagine Paddy Toomey will sense that there's no pace in the race and say to Billy Lee, I want you to make it, which will hopefully ensure that there is pace in the race. Um, I, went into, I went into the Oaks at Epsom thinking Tuesday just wasn't that good. I thought that, you know, if she was to win the race, it would be a, a serious training performance from Aidan O'Brien. And that's exactly what it was. He had been telling us all year that this filly was only going to get better and better. Mm. She only turned three on the 3rd of June, the day she won the Oaks. So she's had another, you know, three weeks, basically, to grow up even more. I spoke to him early on, earlier on in the week when he decided he was going to supplement her. And that's what he said. He said she's got so much physically stronger over the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's going to be really, really interesting. Tactically, it's going to be interesting. And just finding out how good Tuesday is going to be is is fascinating as well. She's a sister to Minding who did the Newmarket Epsom Double in 2016. And I, I, I've said this before, I think it's an amazing, amazing achievement for a horse to win a classic over a 50% longer trip. And, uh, you know, she's obviously in that bracket now. Just let's go through the field here. Boundless Ocean, KJ Manning, French Claim, WJ Lee, Glory Days, RP Whelan, Hannibal Barca, Shane Cross, Lionel, JP Spencer, Pisbadil, Gavin Ryan, Westover, CT Keane, Tuesday, RL Moore. Um, what's your each way bet in the race if you're going against uh, the top two who make up so much of the market? Oh, Hannibal Barca. Right. Up until about 48 hours ago, I was all over Hannibal Barca. What went wrong? Uh, just going back and watching Westover videos. Um, I think Westover is getting better and I don't think he's the finished article yet I think the Westover we see at the Curra given the track and given he's got that, that Epsom experience under his belt I just think he's a bit more streetwise than Hannibal Barca is going to be and uh, I, I think he's going to be very hard to beat add into that the Colin Keane factor which does increase his chances in my view I think Westover is going to be very hard to beat With Hannibal Barca the way he travelled through the Gala Newell mm. was really striking. You know, he travelled through the race really powerfully, like a very good horse. 
And the way Joseph has campaigned him suggests to me that he's a very good horse. Go back to the to the old race and post trophy, as it was called. It's now the Virgin Futurity that Luxembourg won last year at uh, at Doncaster. Hannibal Barca ran a really eye-catching race. He was bum coming out of the stalls. He was held up in last. And I just loved the way he moved kind of from the from the five pole to the two pole. And then he stayed on again as the line approached, suggesting he would want further than a mile. He's now in the hands of, of the young master in Joseph O'Brien. And uh, I can see him running a really, really big race. I wouldn't be surprised if he finished in the first two, but I think it's going to be very hard for him to beat Westover. Give us your one, two, three. Uh, my one, two, three would be one Westover, two Hannibal Barca and three Tuesday. And I just had to look this up earlier on. You mentioned Joseph O'Brien and um, essentially the, the young master, as you call I think he's 29. Actually, he's first Royal Ascot winner in, in the sense of state yeah. of rest, which I was amazed at, uh, J, uh, DJ. But just the stats for Irish flat turf and all weather this year. Aidan O'Brien has trained 40 winners. Dermot Weld has trained seven winners. Joseph O'Brien has trained 48 winners. So he's eight more than his dad. He's second in terms of total earnings uh, this year. The man is 29, DJ. Uh, an unbelievable talent. And uh, an incredible target trainer. Mm. Like, I go back to early doors when the Galway played a couple of years ago. That plan was executed incredibly well because early doors didn't jump particularly well in the Galway played. But he had him absolutely peaking on that day. That had obviously been the plan for at least a year. And he's able to do this. Like, Melbourne Cups, Cox Plates, like, if State of Rest had won the, the Tattersall's Gold Cup, which, watching back the replay of the race, you kind of say, you know, it was probably one that got away on State of Rest. If he had won that day, it would have been five Group 1s in a row at Ascot in five different countries. And, like, that is, that's phenomenal stuff, really. With a horse, like, this time last year, was beaten in a listed race. And to go to that level so quickly and to spot that, like, I know Kevin Blake is a sidekick, and, you know, to have a race planner like that by your side is obviously, you know, a big, big help. But to be targeting these races and not afraid to go anywhere, no matter where it is, with these horses. Like, he went to the Melbourne Cup with horses. Well, you know, when, obviously, there was COVID and there was different things around, Joseph wasn't afraid to send him. And I think that adventurous side to him has definitely helped him get to where he is at the moment. Well, he start bringing, like, three-year-olds to the Melbourne Cup and winning it. It's a bit like um, Emmett Mullins winning, you know, the, the national with the horses, a glorified novice, really. Um, as I mentioned, his rider... Sam Willie Cohn was just randomly on the tube across me in Hammersmith during the week and I should have gone over and said oh Sam you, my friend sold you the horse and yada yada but in the days of everyone being on their phone I just thought it was actually the anti-social thing to do which is one of my regrets Sam if you are listening one, in one of the nicest people I have ever met in racing mm. uh, I actually met him at them past me or Sam uh, both nice uh, I uh, I met him um, at them Patrick one day he brought a crew from his dental um his dental practice over to Dan Patrick for the day and he was an absolute gentleman my god yeah one of the you, you should have went over and said hello Johnny you'll regret that it was just mad so then I met Gary O'Gorman the Irish flat handicapper in the in the airport I was like London may be absolutely massive but you'd never know who you'd meet Friday Night Racing is brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland love every racing moment visit hri.ie forward slash every racing moment Geno just in terms of racing boats this weekend um, what have we got tomorrow for if you you bring your paper to the Curra who's who's doing the tipping what's the feature um, and what is uh, the value apart from uh, the derby on the Curra card uh, yeah, very interesting card. Uh, my esteemed colleague, uh, Justin O'Hanlon, is on tipping duty in the race and post. He's actually having a terrific 2022 on the tipping front. So, uh, uh, yeah, so watch out for Justin's tips and that. Um, a couple of horses I like. I think 
Age of Kings is better than Blackbeard. Uh, they run in the railway stakes at 305. I think Mertes is better than both of them. Yeah, may, maybe, maybe, and you could be right. But but Chartash, who, who's, who's your fancy in the race, uh, trained by Johnny Murta, um, he is a horse that beat Age of Kings at Nace. And I thought Chartash did everything right at Nace, and Age of Kings did most things wrong, and he was still only beating the nose. I think he might improve past him. I thought nothing went right under Frankie de Tory in the in the Coventry. And the fact that they... Like, he was so well-supported that day. My God, like, he went off 3-1. to one. He was freely available at 7-1 to one in the morning of the race. They hammered him into 3-1, mm. to one, despite having Blackbeard in the race. Suggests to me they think there could be more improvements that come from Age of Kings. So I think he's a big player in that. Uh, I think that's at 3.05, the railway stakes. One other one that I like on the card, that it, it could be a bit of a price, because I don't think we've seen the best of him yet, is uh, the Acropolis, um, who ran in the French Derby and the French Guineas. I think he is a better horse than we've seen so far. He's likely to be a big enough price as well. I think he's around 10 to 1. He runs in the 2.35, the Dubai Duty Free Celebration Stakes. Um, both his runs in France, you can upgrade because he was drawn wide. Nothing went right. I think he's a better horse than we've seen so far this season. And his return to action in Leopardstown earlier on in the season, he finished second to Dr. Zemp in the 2000 Guineas trial. I think he's a horse that since then things haven't gone right for him but I think this is the perfect race for him around at 10 to 1 I think the Acropolis in the 235 could be a, a decent bet on the Saturday card you may not have gone right for him since it certainly uh, went right for you since that date where you where you took the tab um, if you are local to the Curra a lot of people um, you know maybe the Curra has gone through a lot of a transformation recent years they haven't been there since it was done up Brian Cavan is at the helm now and uh, it's a big day for tomorrow um, I w- I, I'm, I'm going tomorrow DJ I have to say I'm really looking forward to it I think the, the facilities are fantastic Fantastic! Definitely, there are challenges remaining in getting people going racing. I think globally, um, and the car is no different. But um, would you would you endorse what I'm saying there in terms of a day out tomorrow? Absolutely, yeah. The car gets a lot of bad press, and rightly so in some in some ways. Like you know, but the thing about it is, like sometimes you read things about the car and you say to yourself, "Is this the same place I've been in like mm. for the last couple of years?" Like it is a fabulous, fabulous race course that on good days has. You know, on the good days, it is an extremely enjoyable experience. It is brand new. It is shiny. It is a fantastic facility. And yes, it does get bad press. And yes, there should be more people going to the Curra. But it's Irish Derby Day. It's one of the big days of the year. They've got a terrific new manager, Brian Kavanagh. The Curra is a really enjoyable place to go racing. So I really hope racegoers do go because you've got a cracking, well, I say cracking, you've got a fascinating Dubai Duty Free Irish Derby. So, um, yeah, I hope people vote with their feet and come racing to the Curra for all that the weather forecast isn't exactly playing ball. But uh, fingers crossed the rain will stay away, Johnny. That will be grand. And just finally, General, I was talking to our former boss, uh, Jonathan Mullen, yesterday, calling me from some foreign climes. And I did mention to him that his beloved Mayo were 4-1 to one to beat Kerry uh, on Sunday. I was like, how can Ker- how can Mayo be 4-1 to one to beat a team that is in Dublin in Coe Park? It's like, there's always, they're always very close. And typical of Johnny Mullen, he gave me a hundred reasons why they've no chance, which in, to my mind means he actually quietly fancies them. You are the guru of Gaelic games in the Racing Post. What are you going to fancy? I don't fancy Mayo at all. I think their last couple of performances have been pathetic. And um, Will you I ever learn, Geno? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. And sure, as, as I've heard on the show time and time again from all your colleagues and off the ball, logic goes out the window when it comes to Mayo. But I would be very, very surprised if Kerry didn't win by six points or more.
I'll be there for the game. Uh, Galway VR Mad beforehand. I think Geno is going to tip up Galway because of their brilliant swashbuckling forwards, which Geno loves. Of course, Geno played uh, briefly for me, then a couple of challenge games as well, and uh, had a had a great fu- had a great future behind him in the inter county scene um, under Banty and so on and so forth. But now he got married. He's a second kid on the way, and after that date, everything worked out great for him. Geno, can't wait to see you tomorrow. Looking forward to it, Johnny. That was David Jennings, uh, the deputy editor of the uh, Racing Post in Ireland. Um, yeah, can't wait for the Curra. Thanks a million for Jim Bulger. Uh, have to get him on the show for uh, an extended show uh, sometime in the near future. Fascinating man. And a uh, man that you could essentially listen to all day. Uh, Friday Night Racing Off the Ball is brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland. Love every racing moment, including tomorrow's Dubai Duty Free Irish Derby. Visit hri.ie. Friday Night Racing on Off The Ball Brought to you by Horse Racing Ireland Love every racing moment Visit hri.ie